All right, Jabal, say good morning. Let us begin. A lot to do today. I'm sorry, got a little uh, carried away with the, uh, the Hasidus, but let's uh, let's get back to the Daf. So we are up to. Um, sorry. Okay, I don't see the sponsorships. Ah, okay, to begin by thanking our sponsorships, our Tamatora sponsors, for the month of Nissan, to thank. Steve and Terry Zinn for dedicating all the Sherman Drushels this month in the honor of the birth of their grandson, Adin Svi Hachbaum, to thank Benjamin and Elise Wall for dedicating all the Sherman Drushels this month in honor of all those who helped to make the Shirim accessible beyond the base medrash, specifically Maishi Abramson and Jeremy Lassen, Shimi and Batsheva Messing, for dedicating everything this month in honor of the Basmins of their daughter Lila and Paul and Kathy Pollock. For dedicating the Shirim and Drushos this month in memory of Paul's parents, Shmuel ben Zechariah, Leah Bas Avram, and great grandmother Cyril Bas Rabdov. To thank our Dafyomi sponsors for today. Again, the Plunka family, in commemoration of the yard site of the Ramban. Rav Moshe ben Nachman, Zechar Tzadik, Vikadosh Lebracha. We thank again all of our sponsors for their dedication and generosity. And obviously with that, let us begin a lot to do today. Today's daf is daf Gimel. We are picking up Emirat Hashem on the bottom of Beis Amud Beis. And we are picking up at the two dots. So about, uh, about 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, about 16 to 17 lines up from the bottom. Says the Gemara as follows. So on the 15th of Nisan, we go ahead and we read the Megillah in the walled cities. Okay. So the Gemara says as follows. So the Gemara says, So Rabbi Chalbo goes ahead and will say, Oh no, over here, quotes in the name of Rav Huna, B'Shem. Rabbi Chalbo, Rabbo, Hakol Yosin Biyudalid Shuzman Kriyas. So we'll say, Rabbi Chalbo introduces an interesting halakha, which is as much as the Mishnah said that the walled cities go ahead and read the Megillah on the 15th. However, Rabbi Chalbo says that technically speaking, anyone could discharge their obligation for Megillah on the 14th. So the 14th of, of Adar becomes a Zman Kriya Lakol, which seems to mean that even if a person in a wall, even if a walled city, were to read on the 15th, halacha lamaisa, they would be yotze with a kriya like that. So, Amr lei, lo ba el lamdecha shakalamisos hanagos ba'ader sheni, enon noagos ba'ader ishon. So the Gemara says, well, the truth is, that's not necessarily the topic of our Mishnah. Because remember, again, the Mishnah had a very specific focus. And the Mishnah was just coming to discuss the idea that whatever applies in ader sheni, Oh, I'm sorry, whatever applies in Adarshani does not apply in Adarishon. Lav Dafka that the Mishnah, also remember again, this is Mesechah Shkalim, not Mesechah Megillah. So Lav Dafka that our Mishnah is coming to get into the technical details regarding, regarding the halachos of Kriyas HaMegillah. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Acha, Havin Yasmin. So also Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Acha, we're sitting together. I'm Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Acha. Lo mistabra elal sha'avar, aval lavo lo. Bipashtos, Rabbi Chabos halacha, that if anyone were to read the Megillah on the 14th of Adar, let's say a walled city were to read the 14th of Adar, that they would technically be Yodse, that sounds like that halacha should only be true when ex post facto, right? So if now it's the 16th of Adar, and it turns out that the walled city is read on the 14th, Rabbi Chabos would say, Bidi Eved, they're Yodse. However, Rabbi say Bipashtos, if it's the 14th of Adar, and a walled city read on the 14th of Adar, what should be the halacha? They should have to read on the 15th. 
So ultimately, but we also learned that in a place where halacha lamaisa again, you have to go ahead, in a place where they had the minimum to read on both days, we read the Megillah on both days. I too hold this way, but I'm still not. So again, I'll both say, interestingly enough, the Bryce still poses a kasha according to Rabbi Chalbo. If you're going to say that once a walled city reads on the 14th, that they don't go back and read on the 15th, Shema Shomelo. Do you think that that's a plausible explanation? If you actually subscribe to this idea, it turns out that you're actively uprooting the special time for the walled cities to read. So we'll say what comes out of here is as follows. That as much as Rabbi Chalbo makes this statement that if a walled city read on the 14th, they were Yosei, the way we're understanding that is that's, on, that's only after the fact. However, if a walled city reads on the 14th, we will tell them, to read on the 15th, that they really should read on the 15th. It's only, again, in the event that they did not end up reading on the 15th, but only read on the 14th, we would say that halacha lamaisa, they are yotze. Very important. So, Tani, Rav Shimon Gamliel Omer. So, we'll say, suggest an interesting halacha of Mikra Megillah. So, Tani, Rav Shimon Gamliel Omer. Mitzos hanagos ba'adrasheni, ein noagos berisham. So, we'll say, Rav Shimon Gamliel says that in general, mitzvos which apply on Adarishon, I'm sorry, on Adarsheni, don't apply on Adarishon, which I will say, yes, we already saw this. So, for example, Purim, which is celebrated in Adarsheni, so is not celebrated in Adarishon. For our purposes here in Shkalim, we established in yesterday's DAP. I remember again, when do we announce about the Shkalim? When? Rosh Chodesh Adar. Right? So, remember again, when does that happen? When does that happen? Adarsheni, not Adarishon, for reasons of procrastination like we saw in yesterday's daf. So in general, whatever mitzvahs apply in Adarsheni, don't apply in Adarishon. With an interesting exception, Chutz, Mehesbid Vetainis, Shein Shavin With the exceptions of the restrictions regarding fasting, fasting and eulogizing, which apply on both others. So we'll say, for example, just like in Adarsheni on Purim, both on Yudalit and Tesvav. If there's a Levaya, we won't deliver Hespedim, we don't deliver a eulogy, we don't fast. Those same halachas apply, and Tachanun also, for example, those same halachas apply in Adarishon as well. We'll say that is halacha lemaisa. So in Adarishon, for example, we do not go ahead and recite, we do not go ahead and give eulogies or fast on the 14th or 15th of Adarishon as well. Rabbi Ba. That's his name. Rabbi Ba, Rabbi Yomia, B'Shem Rabbi Simon, B'Shem Rabbi Shomel Levi, Halach Rabbi Shem Gamliel. So they pass in, yes, the Halach of Father Shem Gamliel, that in general, although what we've established is that the Halachos of Adr, whatever is uniquely Adr, i.e. Purim, Shkalim, Kilayim, as we've seen, those Halachos apply to Adr Sheni, not to Adr Rishon, but Rabbi Shem Gamliel says that when it comes to fasting and eulogizing, on the 14th and 15th of Adar, not only does that halacha apply to Adar Sheni, but it also applies to Adar Isham. Beautiful. Rav Huna, Rabba did Tziporin. So what's this really beautiful? Rav Huna was the Rav of Tziporin. Of Tzi, right, Tziporin is Tzipori, right, in the north. Amar Hinhig, Hinhig, Rabbi Chava bit Tziporin, Rabbi Hanina bit Tziporin, Kadar B'Shem So I will say, interesting, Rav Huna said, that Rabbi Hanina conducted himself like Rabbi Shem Gamliel. Lo Amar Ela Hinhig, so we'll say we have a, now we have a little bit of an interesting dispute over here. When we is is it the minog is like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel 
Or is it that the halacha is like Rav Shem Gamliel? We'll say, what's the distinction? So there's a very clear distinction. So if you look at the if you look at the tiklin charetin for just a moment, all the way on the bottom, and I'm sorry, I, I know it's small print. It's not you. It's the Gemara, right? So I want to point out that I have this. Uh, it's funny because I, I, I have not opened a shkalim for the last seven and a half years. So it's chatani maskir. So I will tell you that the last time I saw this masechta, the print looked significantly larger. Um, but um, okay, no, no. But you do have to admit, you do have to admit, there's nothing better than opening a gemara, seeing some of, hopefully seeing some of your notes on, uh, on the margin. It's like seeing an old friend whose name you can't quite remember, but, uh, but, but you definitely remember that you like him. So, I'll say, so, so, the, uh, so if you look at the Tiklin Charetim on the bottom, he says, halacha lo, he says, v'nafkamina ta'alocha dashina bepirka, u'minhaga bepirka lo dashina. So we'll say, here's an interesting discussion. We've seen things like this before. So the Gimar, first the Gimar says that the halacha falls of Shem Then the Gimar says that the minog is like of Shem Gamliel. What's the difference if it's halacha or minog? So the Tiklin Charetin says, do we teach it in public? Do we teach it in public? If it's halacha, we will go ahead and teach it as part of the public shear. If it's minog, we'll conduct ourselves like that, but we are not going to teach it as part of the public shear. So there's a machlokes. There's a machlokes. So say, now we know halacha l'maysa, we do a dat of Shem The halacha l'maysa on the 14th and 15th, of what we call Purim Kat, right? In the, on the 14th and 15th of Adarishon, we in fact, for our purposes for Tula, we don't say Tachanun, we don't eulogize, and we don't fast. So we accept that Allah Chalamaisa. So this is very interesting. The Gemara says, What about for dating documents? So the Gemara says, For dating documents, so if it's Adarishon, you write Adarishon, but if it's Adarshani, we just call Adarshani the regular Adar. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi says, Adarishon Stam, top of, top of Gimel, Adarshani Tinyan. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, just the opposite. We call Adarishon just Adar, and then we call Adarshani, we call Adarshani Adarshani. So we'll say, I'll point out this something very interesting. There's interesting discussion. You know where this comes up? Of course, dating shtaros, like, like Gittin or Ksubis, that definitely comes up. It also comes up in the observance of a yard site, right? If a person has yard site during Adarishon or during Adar, there's much halachic literature dedicated to when does one observe yard, assuming that a person did not pass away in a leap year, right? When does one observe a yard site in an other yard site? Adarishon, Adarshani, it's a lot of interesting halacha associated with that as well. Good, we'll say top of Gimel. Betaknes hadrachim ve'es harachovos ve'es mikvos ma'ayva osin kol tzarcherab. So also in the Mishnah said that during Adar, during Adar, we also go ahead, right? What was Lashon of the Mishnah? Lashon of the Mishnah was, the Chamisha Asarbon, starting the 15th of Adar, is when we begin these public works. We fix the roads, we fix the, right, the, 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 the Drachim, Rechobos, which we'll discuss the distinction between those two, the Mikvas Mayim, and we go ahead and take care of all the Tzarchei Rabbim. So says the Gemara, Elohim Tzarchei Rabbim. So, so when the Mishnah says we take care of all of the public's needs, so what, what is that a reference to? So I will say, I just want to point out over here, the Gemara now is actually quoting from a Mishnah in Meseches Moid Cotton. And what we're going to see, by the way, and this, this is also Lamaisa, is remember on Chalamaid, there is a restriction on Malacha. But however, we are allowed to take care of things that are what's called the Tzorech HaRabim. So therefore, again, we're going to figure out over here what's considered to be a Tzorech HaRabim. What's something for the needs 
of the public. So here we go. So we'll say adjudicating cases, right? Financial cases, um, capital cases, malchus cases, lashes cases, Poldin erchin vicharamim vehekdeshos, also redemption of different types of valuation vows. Right? So we'll say sometimes you can make a vow to the base of Mikdash, I pledge the value of X. So we, we go ahead and we evaluate those things over the course of, that's called Tzarchei Rabim. And for example, we would evaluate that over the course of Cholamite as well. Umashkin as sota. We go ahead and we administer the sota waters. Visarfin as para, burn para duma. Arfin egla arufa. Egla arufa, remember again, it's when you find the dead body in between two cities. Find the closest city. The elders come out, decapitate the calf. Rotsin Evet Ivri, we'll go ahead and we'll pierce the ear of an Evet Ivri who does not want to leave his master. Umetarinas ha we will go ahead and purify a Metzora. Umefarkin es hamin al me'al gabi ha'mayim. this is fascinating. We unlock the water cisterns. We unlock the water cisterns. Now, now what, what, what does this mean? So we'll see, if you take a look at the Tiklin Chadatin on the right-hand side of the page, so we'll say, so, you, so you'll see over here. So take a look. Tiglin Kharantin writes, he says, Shari, Uman Asar. So we'll say, this is actually interesting. Tiglin Kharantin points out, and the Karban Ha'eda points out the same idea that this is actually not considered to be Tzarchi Rabin. So I'll tell you what it is in just a moment, but rather again, this is a different halacha of Maisa Uman, that in general on Chalamaid, you're allowed to do things that are that don't require a specific craftsman, but I guess it can be done just by a common individual. So we'll say, listen to what happened. Obviously, in Eretz Yisrael, they rely on rainwater. So the major public water cisterns were locked, were locked. In other words, there was ways to access water, but they kept the cistern itself locked so that whoever wanted to get into it, which makes sense, you don't want to leave the, water, the primary water source open to everyone. So on Chalamai, you're allowed to take off the lock because taking off the lock doesn't really require a lot of effort, but going ahead and putting the lock back on does require a Maisa So both the Tiklin Charitin and the Karbana Eidah just point out this was kind of included here, but not part of our primary topic. So you can take the lock off, but you can't put the lock back on. Good. So the Gemara says, Taman Taninan, Mashkin Beis HaShalchin, Umitzainan HaLakvaris. Furthermore, again, I'll say the Gemara says, what else can you do on Chalamayit? You could go ahead and water a Beis HaShalchin. So we'll say a Beis HaShalchin is, is an irrigated field, a, a field that, re, that relies on a person to water it. Right? So if you don't water, remember, again, we'll say also on Chalamayit, you're allowed to engage in what's called Malacha for Davar HaAvod. If something is going to be lost, right? If you don't take care of something, going to suffer a loss. So, for example, a person should really, if, if possible, a person should try to avoid working on chalamaid. It's ideal, but if I'm going to encounter a loss by by not working on chalamaid, I'm allowed to work on chalamaid. So the gemara says, so if you have a field that relies on human irrigation, right? You relies on me to water it, and I don't water it, the crop is going to be lost. Furthermore, what else can you do on chalamaid? The boss is the whole reason we're bringing this down. Omitsainin alakvaris. We go ahead and we, we demarcate the graves. Now, really what it means is we put the lime or the plaster on the grave to identify the grave. Shabbos said, the Gemara is saying, you could do this on Chalamai. I will say, what's the obvious kasha? Lo adar? Why is the Mishnah telling me that I could go ahead and put lime on the graves to identify the graves on Chalamai? After Shabbos said, when are you identifying the graves? When? 15th of Adar. That's the first Mishnah Masech Shkalim. 
that was supposed to be done more than a month ago, right? That's the avoda that's done, right? That's part of Beisdin's obligation already at fit from the 15th of Adar and on. So why would there ever be a need to do this over Chalamayda, good kasha? To which the Gemara says, V'tiftar, you could answer this, She'yarat shetav shal gishamim Well, say, again, simple answer. What's the simple answer? There was a downpour. Both I remember again, as much as the rainy season, most of the rainy season is over by Tu Bishvat, and even more of it again is over certainly by the 15th of Adar, Lamaisa, it could still rain. So there was a downpour, happy with the downpour, downpour again washed away the lime, and therefore they had to go ahead and, I don't know if it's the right term, re-lime, right, or, or re replaster the graves. Good. The Yotzin Afala climbs. So we'll say, remember again, also the Mishnah Moid Cotton says, you could also go ahead and go out on Chalamaid to go ahead and Basin could send out people to go ahead and announce about Kilaim. And also, by the way, remove Kilaim from the fields. The Lord says, why do you have to do this on Chalamaid? After all, Again, I will say, remember, you understand what the Gemara is asking over here. The Mishra Moi Cotton that the Gemara is quoting over here is discussing the things I'm allowed to do over Chalamaid. But the Gemara is bothered by because these are some of the very things that our Mishnah told us that you're supposed to be doing already as of the 15th of Adar, which is a more than a month before. So why would the Mishnah say that you can go out and uproot Kilayim when you're supposed to be uprooting Kilayim already a month before? To which the Yimar says, V'tifta, you can answer this, We'll say, it was a late blooming year. So because it was a late blooming year, therefore again, the plants were not recognizable during the 15th of Adar. Good. So the Gemara says, well, so the Gemara just says, as an aside, how do you know that you're supposed to mark a grave? So say, remember again, the Mishnah says that on the 15th of Adar, we mark graves. Where you mark graves. How do you know that there's a din to mark a grave? Rabbi Nechemya, Rabbi Rachio, Rabbi Yaakov, Barbas Yaakov, Rabbi Shem, Rabbi Chunya, Debras, Debras Chavrin, that's the name of a place. Rabbi Yossi, Amrila, Rabbi Yaakov, Bar Akko, B'Shem, Rabbi Chunya, Debras Chavrin. Rabbi Chizki, Rabbi Zio, B'Rei, Derev Chunya, Mide Beis Chavrin, B'Shem, Rabbi Chunya, Debeis Chavrin. A lot of people say, how do you know that you're supposed to go to make it seum? B'Tamei, Tamei Yikra. They're both saying this is incredible. By the Mitzorah, right? By the Mitzorah, a person has Saras. So what's the halacha? He's supposed to walk around, Tamei, Tamei Yikra. He is supposed to call out, I am Tamei. What do you see from here? Why does the Torah say that the person who has Saras is supposed to call out Tame Tame so that other people know? Why should other people know? Why should they know? They should avoid him. Because we'll say there's a din of avoidance of Tumah. It's, in it's incredible. You sort of will say, in general, when dealing with life's problems, avoidance is not a good strategy, except where it is. When it comes to tumma, when it comes to impurity, when it comes to negative influences, sometimes avoidance is the best strategy in life. Because if you come too close to tumma, if you come in contact with tumma and you think that you can manage the tumma, 99.999% of times, you're wrong and you become tame. And therefore we'll say when it comes to tumma in any form of tumma, the best strategy is avoidance. Tame tame yikra, let the Mitzorah call out Tumah, Kedeshi Yifrosh, so that people should find the ability to avoid the Tumah. So we'll say, so therefore again, you see from here, that Halach so this is why we put a seal on a grave. Because again, you want people to be able to avoid Tumah Sameis. 
So the Gemara says, "Rabbi Ela, b'shem Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachman, Amar b'avru ha'ovrim be'eres be'eres urei 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 etzem adam ubana etzlot zion." So we'll say the Gemara calls from Yecheskel. Actually, this is talking about the war of Gog and Magog. People will pass by the pass through the land. They will see the bone of an individual, and they will build a zion. They will build a marker on top of it. So here also the Navi indicates that wherever there are human remains, you put a marker on top of that in order that people could avoid and not become Tomei. So the Gemara says, Etzem. So we'll say we learn a lot of things from that passage, like from the fact that it says bone. From here you see that you go and you place it, see you in a marker, even if there are just bones. Adam, that even if all you have is just the spine and the skull, that's enough of remains to warrant the Tzion. Ubana, We'll say, what does it mean when it says, Ubana, you will build? Build means you're constructing something on something that already exists. So you build the tzion on top of a rock that is embedded in place. Which I will say, that's just logic. Why do you have to use a rock that's embedded in place? Because what's going to happen otherwise? The rock could roll, right? The rock could move. And if the rock moves, then you've defeated the purpose of using it as a tzion for tumah. So the Gemara says, Im Omer at Agabe Evan Tolusha, here we go. Because if you're going to create your tzion on a rock that's moving, then at the end of the day, the rock will move and, and the marker, the marker shifts off the remains, and you totally go ahead and defeat the purpose. At slow, when the Pasik says at slow by it, Lamakum Tara. So it was very interesting. When putting a tzion over remains, we don't just put the marker over the body, but rather we actually move the marker out a little bit, that the marker itself should be sitting on a makum tara, on a part of where that actually doesn't have the remains. So you're both saying, the concern is like this, if the tzion, if the marker itself only occupies the exact part where the body is, what's the concern? A person may not even realize, not even see, and end up stumbling over the grave. Or remember again, even hovering over the grave. So they say what we kind of do is we make the marker a little bit larger or space it out a little bit more beyond where the actual body is buried. That way there's a little bit of a buffer. So the Gemara says, Tzion, Mikan Tzion. The fact that it says a marker, from here we see we put a marker. So also listen to this. And if you go ahead, find a stone that is marked. So if you come across a stone that is clearly a grave marker, you know, it's, it's covered with plaster or with lime, and you were to go ahead and stand over it, you have to assume that you have contracted Tomas Mace. How you shtayim, both is very interesting. What happens if you find two stones spaced apart a little bit? If you go out and you hover over them, you are tar, but if you stand in between them, you're tummy. So in other words, if you see two stones that look like they are demarcating, let's say, the head and the feet of a grave, so you could assume that they're spaced out a little bit beyond the actual body itself. Therefore, if you were to hover over the stones, you would not be Tomei, but if you were to walk in between the stones, you would be Tomei. An interesting Sayim. What happens if you see evidence of plowing having done in between the two stones? Then what? Then you treat the two stones not as two markers of the same grave, but rather what? Two different graves. Because again, since we assume that if there was a grave in between the two stones, there wouldn't be plowing. The fact that there was plowing indicates that the two stones themselves represent two different graves. Therefore, again, 
if you walk in between the two stones, you are tar. But, but ultimately, around the stones themselves, there will be tame. So the Gemara says, This is incredible. What about over some flesh? Let's say you just have some flesh from a body. So obviously, you have to bury it. You have to bury it. But the Gemara says, We don't place a marker over flesh. Right, it's mostly interesting halacha. So if you were to find human flesh, you would have to bury it. You would have to bury it, but we would not place a stone over it. Why not? So the Gemara says, Shaman because flesh decomposes quickly. So I'll say, so because it decomposes quickly, what's the problem? If you put a marker there, see, once you put a marker somewhere, we make the assumption that what? That the tumma is there forever. And the problem is that's misleading. The tumma is not there forever. And I will say, so you'll say to yourself, but who cares? What, I mean, what's the big deal? Why not err on the side of caution? It makes a very big deal. Because I will say, in the days of Taurus, where let's say again, this truma. So remember again, if somebody, if somebody, let's say you were to put stone, a stone over the flesh, and you were to hover over the stone, and then you were to go in and touch the truma, you would assume based on that, that what? You have to burn the truma. And I will say, if you're wrong, what you've just done is you've unnecessarily destroyed truma, which is a very serious infraction. Therefore, the Gemara says, interestingly enough, we don't place a marker on top of flesh. Rabbi on the other hand, the Gemara says, So we'll say, but one second, but on the flip side, doesn't that also pose a problem, which is what? Let's say you buried flesh, the flesh is still there. A person hovered over it or walked over it and then touched truma and they unknowingly transmitted to so it. Sometimes like, by putting a marker there, you're concerned that people are going to unnecessarily destroy truma. But by not putting a marker there, what's the problem? Somebody could actually contract tumas mace, not even know it, convey that tumma to Taurus or to Kachin, and thereby even unknowingly communicate tumma. To which most things incredible. Amrale, Mutav Shis Kalkulu Bolusha'a. Wow, what a profound statement. It is better to go ahead and make a little bit of a momentary mistake than to make an eternal mistake. See, Rabbi you know what the Gemara is saying? And this is incredible. Sometimes mistakes in life are unavoidable. Or I should say a little bit differently. Mistakes in life are unavoidable, right? They're always going to make mistakes. The goal in life is to minimize the damage, right? To think that I'm not gonna make mistakes, to think that I'm not gonna make missteps, to think that I'm not gonna mess up, that's unreasonable. The goal in life is generally minimize your damage, create realistic expectations. I'm gonna mess up, I'm gonna make mistakes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make missteps, I'm going to go ahead and cause tumor. But the Gemara is saying, when trying to figure out how to structure your life, minimize your tumor. Minimize your tumma. So I got it. There is a risk. There is absolutely a risk if I don't go in and put the stone there. But the risk is much greater if I do put the stone there. The risk if I put the stone, if I don't put the stone, is a limited risk, a limited duration of risk. If I put the stone there, the risk is forever. The risk is forever. Therefore, the Gemara says, so I'll say it's a profound life statement. Mutav shes kalkulu boli olam. Better to only have the fallout from your mistakes last for a little while than to last for all eternity. I will say, it's, it's, it is unrealistic to structure a life without mistakes, right? There's always some type of kilkul. The goal in life is to go ahead and minimize and contain the damage of your mistakes to the greatest degree possible. Such a musr. I will say, here we go. 
Am Rabbi Yehuda, Bereshona Hayu Okrin, Vosikus is a great Mishnah. Bereshona Hayu Okrin, Umashlich Lifneir. So, remember again, we learned in the last Mishnah that on the 15th of Adar, the emissaries of the basin go out and they uproot Kilayim. They uproot Kilayim. So, the Mishnah says in the beginning, so the, the messengers would go out, they would uproot the Kilayim, Umashlich Lifneim, and they would throw down the Kilayim in front of the owners, front of the owners. So we'll say, so the, the idea, the Tiklin Kharitin says, Kedeshi is Baishu. So there was like a, there was a, a busha. So what would happen? We'll say, imagine you have your field, the guy from Bezdin shows up, he uproots your kilayim, which means you had kilayim in your field, and he throws it down in front of you. It's very embarrassing. It's a public spectacle. Everybody sees it. But I will say, but what happened? Mishirabu over But ultimately, again, when unfortunately, there are many over Avera. In other words, a lot of people planting kilayim, so the emissaries of the so we'll say so what's the good part the good part was going to see well let's see let's see inside the gemara then what happened when there are too many people who are violating the halacha the the emissaries of basement would come along uproot the kilaim and don't not throw it into the fields but throw it into the streets and then at some point in time we'll see this was a progression if you planted kilaim we'll say what would happen if basement showed up and they saw you had kilaim they would make your field hefker. So we'll say, what's going on over here? So it says the Gemara. So Tani Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Tani Am Rabbi Yehuda, Barishona Hayu Okrin, Mashlich and Lifneyen. Listen to this. So in the beginning, Bezin would show up. They'd show up to Ruvain's field. They saw Ruvain planted Kilayim. So what would the emissary Bezin do? He would uproot the Kilayim, Mashlich and Lifneyen. And he would throw the Kilayim down on the field in front of Ruvain. And Ruvain, Ruvain, the Balavera, was very happy. Why was he happy? Number one, two, double Simcha. So number one, I just got free labor, right? Somebody just weeded my field. Thank you. We'll say, furthermore, again, remember, you can get Hana from Kilayim. So what would happen? The Shliach of the Basin would come along. He'd uproot the Kilayim, and he would throw it down on the field of Ruvain. Now Ruvain's animal came and ate the Kilayim. So a double Simcha, a double Simcha. Number one, someone's taking care of my weeding. Number two, someone's feeding my animals. So what I say, obviously, so what happens? Misherabu over Avera. So I say, once, unfortunately, this became a more predominant and prolific practice. Instead of throwing the kilayim down on the fields so that the owner of the field's animal could benefit, the shluche basin would throw the kilayim into the street. So this way, again, the animals wouldn't get benefit from it. But still, the owners of the field were happy because as much as they weren't getting someone to feed their animals, they were still getting someone to what? Weed their fields. So therefore, also at that point in time, Incredible. There was at that point in time, the basin instituted that if you had kilan growing in your field, we're coming in and we're making your field hefker. We're making your field hefker. So it says, the I will say, so I'll just point out, interestingly enough, when we're making this field hefker, the idea was it's hefker for whoever wants to uproot the kilayim. So obviously the owner of the field, if he uproots his kilayim, he can reacquire his field again. But the idea is they're saying it's hefker. So whoever comes along and remedies the kilayim is going to be the owner. So the owner says, by the way, Minayi Shefker, Bezin Hefker, how do you know that Bezin has the ability to make things hefker? So general, both said this is a general question. From where essentially do we know in halacha the concept of eminent domain? From where do we see that Bezin has the right to come in and essentially assert monetary control over your property? So the Gemara says, This is incredible. This is done by Ezra. By Ezra, when it was time to go ahead, we'll remember again, when they came back for the second base Amikdash, there was an incredible problem of intermarriage. So Ezra made a declaration. He said, whoever does not show up in the next three days, 
ultimately, again, all of his property is going to become Hefker. So how did Ezra have that power? Ezra had that power because of Hefker based in Hefker. By the way, how do we know that something, so we'll say in general, there's a concept that Hefker produce, Hefker produce is potter from Meiser. Hey, you can see over here, right? so if you just take a look at the Tiklin Chadatin, he says, Yechram kol ruchusho, hari she'ezra u'bezdino, haya biyadam l'hafker kol ruchush over al divrayim. So we'll say, so you see over here, that Ezra and his Bezdin had the ability to make the property, to make the property hefker. So we'll say, so the Gemara says, by the way, how do you, now, just an important point. In general, meiser, or I should say hefker, is is exempt from chumas and maestros. It's a general halacha. Ownerless property. So now what the Gemara is going to show is something made hefker by Bezdin is also potter from chumas and maestros. How do you know that even something made hefker from Bezdin is potter from chumas and maestros? Rabbi interesting halacha. We do not declare a leap year both during Shemitah a Shemitah, when I was supposed to say, we don't add a leap month. We don't add in an extra month during a Shemitah year, nor do we add in a leap month in the year after Shemitah. So neither in year seven or what we call year eight, which is really year one of the next cycle. Vim Ibruha, and if you did so, Harezim Uberes, ultimately again, it works. It works. V'chodesh Echad Shumosif, Lo Patrimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimim
you're allowed to import produce because there were food shortages. There are food shortages. So the Gemara says, when do we say that we don't want you to go ahead and prolong both the Shemitah, really, it's, it's the eighth year. We don't want you to prolong that. That's when halachalamaisek, we don't want you to prolong the prohibition of Chadosh. That's before they began importing produce. But now that they began importing produce, you can make an Ibrayar, you can go in and make a leap year out of the year after Shemitah. So we'll say, furthermore, again, this halacha of not making a Shemitah into a leap year or the year after Shemitah leap year, that's only when the years were literally working the way they were supposed to. The crops ripened at the right time. But now that, again, kind of the agricultural cycle is often unpredictable, Shemitah, the year after Shemitah, is treated like every other year. So the Gemara says, so we'll see, interestingly enough, one time they went ahead and they declared the Matzei Shviyas into a leap year. Rabbi Avon, in Min Hadda, if this is your proof, less Ashma Min Aklom, Shamar Aschodesh Aviv, Shomreyu Sheyaviu Bichidusho. So we'll say, Siddi Gimara says, remember, there's a different reason why sometimes you'd have to go ahead and make a Shemitah year or the year after Shemitah into a leap year. Why? We spoke about this yesterday. Because we'll say, sometimes you have to declare, declare a leap year if Pesach is falling out during the winter. So they both say, well, if that's going to happen, if Pesach has to be Chodesh Av, has to be the spring. So sometimes, whether it's Shemitah year, whether it's year eight, if Pesach is falling out and it's still the winter, you have to declare a leap year. Vahayda Amrida, so the Gemara says, Gadish Shalom, locate Tachtov, so the Gemara says, if you look, if you look at the last Tehillim Chanatin, let's go back for just a moment. Remember what was our original question? How do you know that when Bezin declares something Hefker, it is still exempt from all Trumas and Maestro? You're supposed to listen to this. So the Gemara says, God is Shalom, locate Tachtov, supposed to listen to this. Interesting case, if you have a pile of wheat, if you have a pile of wheat that is sitting on top of leket, that is sitting on top of, remember again, leket is, goes to the aniyim. So what's that? Any part of the pile that's sitting on the earth belongs to the aniyim. This reflects the view of Beishamai, Di'i Beishilal, Aniyim, Ochlin, Uma'asim. So we'll say, aside Machlokes, when it comes ultimately again to the tithes that go to the poor. Are tithes that go to the poor subject to Trumas and Maestros or not? Beishamai says no. Beishilal says yes. So Yimara says, I've heard that ultimately again it's Pater from Maeser, but that's ultimately because of a Kinasa. So we'll say so again, just for our purposes, what we extract from this is that Halachala Maeser, two things. Number one, Hefker, I'm sorry that we're going quickly. Hefker, Bezin, Hefker. When Bezin makes something ownerless, in fact, it is ownerless. They have that power. Where do we learn that from? Where do we learn that from? Ezra. That is the source, right? Ezra said, whoever does a up in three days, ultimately his property is ownerless. That's Aleph. And Bez, when Bezin makes something Hefker, it takes on the full status of Hefker. Namely what? Just like Hefker items are normally exempt from Trumas and Maestros, so too over here when Bezin makes something Hefker, it's exempt from Trumas and Maestros as well. Incredible. Halacha Gimel, Mishnah. Bechamisha Sarbo, so this is so interesting. So Bechamisha Sarbo, on the 15th of Adar, on the 15th of Adar, so Bechamisha Sarbo, Shulchanos Ha Yoshim Medina. Let's listen to this. So remember now, we just said, when do we announce about the Shkala Machza Shakal? When? First of Adar, Rosh Chodesh. 
On the 15th of Adar, two weeks later, money changers would begin to set up shop. Because remember, I will say, remember, so you, everybody is pretty much giving this. We saw in yesterday's daf that it, the, the idea is everybody's giving the same type of coin. But let's say Bismana Mikdash, everybody was giving Mamashiril Machsas a shekel, a real half shekel. The problem is not everybody had a half shekel. So you had to have money changers who were there to go ahead and exchange money. So the money changers would set up shop on the 15th of Adar. Now, first they would set up shop, they would sit in the Medina. And I both say, this is Machlokas, what Medina is. Does Medina mean Yerushalayim? Or does Medina mean just everywhere? So the Tiklin Chadatin, Tiklin Chadatin says over here that Medina means Yerushalayim. Okay, so we'll say, let's go with the idea, because it works a little bit better with the reading, that Medina means in all the Jewish cities, throughout Eretz Yisrael, the, the money changers set up shop. On the 25th of Adar, they moved operations to the Beis HaMikdash. So we'll say, pretty incredible. So first, they write, they set up shop everywhere, then they move operations to the Beis HaMikdash. We'll say, this is incredible. Once you get, once they set up shop in the Beis HaMikdash, I'll say, remember, so, so donating the Max HaShakel is an obligation. And if you did not donate, the, the, we'll see the Beisdin was empowered to seize collateral. <laughs> Pretty incredible. To seize collateral. So you were not giving Max HaShakel, we could seize collateral. Levi, so the Gemara says, Esmim Mashkin. By the way, who do you seize collateral from? Leviim, Yisraelim, Geirim, Avadim, Meshukrarim. So we'll say we take from Leviim, we take from Yisraelim, from converts, from emancipated slaves. But we don't, we don't seize collateral from women, from servants, from children. And by the way, once a father has begun to contribute to Machtes Ashekel on behalf of his son, we do not stop that practice. Now, I will say now, this is an interesting case. We don't, we don't go ahead and seize collateral from Kohanim for the Machsa Shekel because of Dark Shalom. We'll discuss what that means. Rabbi Huda Heyed ben Bukhri Biyavna called Kohen Shashokel Enochote. So we'll say, Rabbi Huda, he went ahead and he said, we'll say, here, here's what Rabbi Huda seems to be saying, although we'll clarify it in tomorrow's daf. Rabbi Huda is saying that a, apparently a Kohen doesn't have to give Machsis Ashakel. But if he gives Machsis Ashakel, it's not an Aveira. It's not an Aveira. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, lo. Ki Ella called Kohen She'ino Shokel, Chote. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai says, no, a Kohen has to give Machsis Ashakel. Right? Ultimately, again, called Kohen She'ino Shokel, Chote. Ella, Ki Ella called Kohen She'ino Shokel, Chote. If a Kohen does not go ahead and give the Machsis Ashakel, he is sinning. So both say, a fundamental machlok is Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai about a coin's obligation by machzis ashakel. Now remember, the Mishnah is saying two things. We don't seize collateral from a coin. That's number one. But then the real shaila is, is a coin obligated to give machzis ashakel? So Rabbi Huda says, no. He's allowed to. He's, if he does, it's not a sin, but he doesn't have to. But Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai says, he has to. And if he doesn't give machzis ashakel, it's an Aveira. But rather, what happens? The Kohanim seek to exempt themselves by Machsa Shekel by darshing the following Pasuk. The Pasuk is about to say that in general, when a coin offers up a carbon, whenever a coin offers up a mincha, so the mincha is burned in its entirety. 
So we'll say, we're going to see, we'll stop over here for today, but we're going to see that the Kohana make an interesting drasha for themselves. And we'll say the interesting drasha is as follows, that halacha a regular karba mincha, when you offer up a karba mincha, what happens? The Kohen takes the, takes the um, kamitza, burns the kamitza, and the rest is fit for consumption. But if a Kohen brings his own karba mincha, the entire carbon is burned. So we'll say, as we're going to see a century, the Kohanim say, well, look, how could it be if we go out and we contribute machzah shakel? But remember again, anyone who contributes the half shakel has a chilek in karbanos. So the Kohen says, what's the problem? If we contribute machzah shakel, then we too have a chilek. If we too have a chilek, then what? Then what? Then essentially nothing can be consumed. Everything has to be totally burned. That's how the Kohanim understand that they don't have an obligation to contribute machzah shakel. But we'll say, what's talacha? Two Kohanim or not Kohanim have an obligation to go out and give. Emir Hashem tomorrow's daf. Shkaya Chavosayim.